We're going to look at verses 19 through 24 together. There is an outline in your program along with other scripture passages we will consider. So take that out and if you would follow along with me. These are startling and stunning words of Jesus to his disciples. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve... God and money. So far the reading of God's Word. Do you remember the story of John Wesley? He, of course, was the founder of the Methodist Church, and we've been reading together from the book The Treasure Principle, and in chapter 2 we were reminded of the story where the rider came on horseback over the hill, thundering over to where Wesley was standing, and he arrived breathlessly with a frown on his face, and he says, Mr. Wesley, your house has burned to the ground. And after composing himself and hearing this tragic news, do you remember what John Wesley said? He said, no. The Lord's house burned to the ground. What a remarkable moment that was for me to read about. What did he understand? How did he respond like that? John Wesley knew what we have been discipling ourselves to understand as the people of God. He knew... The first principle of the treasure principles, the first principle is this. God owns everything. I am just His manager of what He has entrusted to me. Right? Haven't we seen? There's a lot of passages in the Bible that teach this. God owns everything. I'm just, the old-fashioned word is, I'm just His steward. And He entrusts me with it, and then I take care of it. For him and distribute it and use it as he warrants, as he calls me to do. Jesus in this passage tells us that our hearts follow our treasures. And um, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you know that this is one of the great battles, the internal struggles that everybody has. That's why Jesus discusses it so much and speaks so clearly. 
And you must ask the question again and again, where is my heart today? We've talked a lot about our hearts in our worship today. That we must surrender our hearts to God. Where is my heart? In the Bible, the heart is that intersection of intellect, emotions, and will. The volition of the heart. You have been created as an agent who is able to make choices. You were created as a human being who has emotions. God has given you a mind. And the three of them together are what the Bible refers to as the heart. And God says, give me your heart. How do you find out where your heart is? Well, (laughs) Jesus gives us three questions to answer in this text today. You see them in your sermon outline. We're going to learn from Jesus about this today. Question number one will be, where is my treasure? Question number two, how is my vision? And question number three, who is my master? And this is what Jesus wants us to consider today, all right? So, beginning with question number one, where are our treasures? And in this tight passage, Jesus gives a command, a great command, and then he develops it by explaining what he's talking about. And he starts out, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, but instead lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And you know what Jesus is telling us here? He's telling us that we are all laying up treasures. Every one of us is laying up treasures, okay? There's nobody who doesn't have treasures. What is your treasure? Your treasure is that which is important to you, that which you invest in. It becomes important to you, right? Um, You don't care about Microsoft, the company Microsoft. Does it do well or not? You don't care until... You buy some Microsoft stock, and all of a sudden, you're invested in it, and you care what happens to the company. It's a treasure for you. Jesus says we're all laying up treasures. And you're either laying up treasure on earth, or you're laying up treasure in heaven. A little bit later... When Jesus talks about how people lay up treasures, down in verse 32 of this same chapter, he talks about the pagans. All right, we don't want to be pagans. He says, well, what do the pagans do? The pagans run after food and clothing and money, and they obsess on all these things. And Jesus knows that is our fleshly tendency, to obsess on food and clothing and money and all the earthly pleasures. Madison Avenue understands that, and they just, they just fire the flame of our obsessions for food and clothing and money and cars and stuff. It's, it's, it's a picture that Jesus paints of obsession. And then you, you listen to Jesus in other places over in Luke 12, verse 15, where Jesus says this. It's startling. Jesus says, a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Take care and be on guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. 
And then he goes on and he tells the story of the rich man, you know, who congratulated himself. He built barns and he filled the barns and then he said, I need bigger barns. And he builds bigger ones and he congratulates himself on the amassing of quite an impressive portfolio. And then Jesus, and then God says to him, you fool. This night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not, now here it comes, and is not rich toward God. And that's what Jesus is talking about when he's talking about treasures. Are you just rich in this world? Or are you rich toward God? It's an interesting question. It's, it's, it's challenged my own heart this week. I am happy for you. I, am, I truly rejoice if you earn a good living, if you earn an honest living, if you are able to provide for yourself and your family. The Bible calls us to do that. But make no mistake. Jesus does not call His people uh, to poverty That's a mistake that some Christians have made. He does not call everybody to be poor. Some people are rich, some people are poor. He doesn't doesn't celebrate poverty. But you can be rich in this world and not rich toward God. And if that is the case in your life, what is his assessment of you? He says, you fool. Am I rich toward God? That is the question that's haunting me this week. In our passage, Jesus says, is it all about treasures on earth for you or have you stored up treasures in heaven? What are your treasures? The treasure is that which you value, that you put in the coffer. That's an old-fashioned word, the coffer. What's the coffer? The coffer is the strong box, the safety deposit box, you know, that you have hidden in the safe in your basement behind the wall panel, you know. And you keep your treasures there. Where are your treasures? Are they just on earth or are they in heaven? What does a heavenly treasure look like, Pastor John? What is it? It's the same thing. It's the stuff that you value that is heavenly. It's the stuff you value that is God's heart. What am I talking about? I'm talking about knowing Him. You are rich toward God if you know Him intimately, personally. You're seeking His face. You're hungering after Him. And you have a relationship with the Lord that is real and not artificial, not shallow, but runs deep in your soul. Do you have that? That's the greatest treasure. Knowing Jesus Christ is the greatest treasure in the world. To have friendship with the Lord. Do you have that? Or is your heart cold, indifferent to knowing Him? 
And then what is on his heart becomes your heart. And we're just, this is not rocket science. The treasures that he has are the people that you touch, the people that you invest in with love and good deeds and compassion and mercy and generosity. Unforced. You know, I'm not, I'm not a big fan of the forced transfer of wealth. You know, somebody puts a gun to your head and says, you've got to take your money and give it to them. You know what? I, I much prefer it. And I think the Bible calls us to voluntary sharing of what we have. And when a person is rich toward God, suddenly something happens and they are able to sit loose on their possessions. And I'm able to share with... Uh, there's this word, it's called generosity, which is utterly foreign to my stingy flesh. But when the Holy Spirit takes up residence inside of me, I suddenly find myself able, eager, happy to share. And I invest in someone emotionally who's hurting. It's not just the transfer of money, but it's the demonstration of mercy, of kindness, of love. And when these things happen, we are told in Ephesians that God has appointed for Christians to do good works. He actually appointed them before there was a planet or a tree on it. He, he appointed us to do good works. And what do you know? Those very good works become treasures in heaven. And when you give a cup of cold water to someone who is thirsty, Jesus says, you will receive your reward in heaven. Now, I don't give the cold water to get a reward. That's silly. I can't persuade God to like me a little bit more because I give a cup of cold water to someone. All I know is that in His economy, because I'm a Christian, because I've been saved, because the cross has won my salvation, now I'm free to see someone who's thirsty and go out of my way and bring them a cup of water and to share what God has given with me to me with someone else. Randy Alcorn is teaching us as we read this book together, number one, God owns everything. I'm just his money manager. And then Jesus teaches us here, Randy Alcorn says, the second principle is that my heart always goes where I put God's money. And this, my friends, is true. Again, I don't care about Microsoft and how well they do in, this, in, in, in the economy until I buy some Microsoft stock. All of a sudden, I'm a lot more interested in how it goes. Well, where your money goes, your heart follows. Every Christian is interested in missions, right? We're all interested in missions, what God is doing around the world. But you know what, what missions you're, you're really invested in? It's the one you support with money. You know, you put, a, you put your money in our offering plate, and it's going to the Aizo and Mina tribes, the source of all voodoo in the world, and... and you're giving to the gospel reaching the country of Benin, a great unreached pagan culture, and thousands and thousands of your dollars have gone to Benin. 
Thousands and thousands of your dollars have gone to Haiti, to Cambodia, where we invest. And I'm sorry we don't celebrate this more because, because this is our investment in the kingdom of God with what you give. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, Jesus gives us a good reason for this command. He says, uh, do you know what happens to your earthly treasures? And, and this isn't original with me. Ray Steadman says in his comments that he thinks there is a very delicate touch of humor in Jesus here. Jesus says, you want me to explain your earthly treasures to you in three words? I can do that. Moths, rust, and thieves. And that's the destiny of what you have. Moths are going to eat your finest silk. And rust is going to corrode your favorite car. And thieves, whether they are bankers on Wall Street or some thug who broke into your house, is going to come and take away your treasures. Now, what Jesus does is then he, he brings this interesting discussion about the eye. And this is point number two. How is your vision? And he says, you know what? This treasure's in heaven. This isn't the whole story. Let me explain this to you, Jesus says. He says, not only are our in affections Involved, But he says there's something about the eye, which is the lamp. These are the ancient symbols of the mind. How you process things in your mind. How do you look at things? This is not a random thought disconnected with the passage. Some New Testament critics have said, you know, this is just a random thought that Matthew threw in there. Not at all. It's connected. And Jesus says, you've got to see things Illumined from God's perspective, if you're going to understand this whole thing about treasure in heaven. And he talks about a healthy eye and a bad eye. What do you think he's discussing here? Listen, friends, when you became a Christian, you probably heard the old hymn, Amazing Grace by John Newton. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I am found. What's the next line? Do you know it? Was blind, but now I see. And at the essence of coming to Christ is having your eyes opened. Your eyes opened to the reality, some terrible realities. My eyes were opened to the terrible reality of my own sin and pride and selfishness. My eyes were opened to the holiness of God and His righteous, perfect, pure character. And they didn't fit together. My sinfulness and God's holiness were a discordant screech of fingernails on the chalkboard. And then He opened my eyes to the cross. And there the justice and mercy of God kiss. And the Lamb of God was slain for my sins. And God's just wrath fell on Him. And His mercy came to me. And I did not deserve it. Amazing grace. My eyes were opened. Have your eyes been opened? Have your eyes been opened? 
This, this was the story of the man in John 19 who was born blind. Do you remember that? And Jesus comes and lays hands on him. And it becomes this great historical parable. It's a parable, this event. It happened in history, but it's so pregnant with meaning. He lays hands on the blind man and he says, I can see. And the Pharisees, the religious people, do we have some religious people here today? The religious people didn't like it. They didn't like Jesus. And they said, he's a sinner. And they said to the man, confess that Jesus is a sinner. And what did that poor fellow say? He said, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. All I know is I was blind and now I see. Can you say that? And Jesus, the, 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 that man, he turned to the Pharisees. And I don't know if he was teasing them or if he was just a new heart. He said to the Pharisees, do you want to become his disciples too? And I say that to you today. Do you want to become his disciples too? We do. We want to be his disciples because now we see. But Jesus applies this issue of sight now to the issue of money or to the issue of stuff, treasures on earth. And he says, look, you've got to have an eye to see things from God's perspective. That when you give away your stuff, when you share your car, when you share your home, when you are generous with what you have and you use your time for Him, somebody's going to come to you. Maybe somebody at work, somebody in your family. Oh, you Christians. You know, you could have used that money for a much nicer vacation. You could have used that money by putting it into your IRA. You could have had a better car. And you know, they'd say that to you enough. You start to listen to them. You start to believe them. Unless you have a good eye, according to Jesus, unless you can see things from His perspective. And around here, we quote the great missionary Jim Elliott, the man who was murdered by the Aka Indians, but before he was murdered, what did he say? You know the quote. He said, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep, moth and rusts and thieves. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And what will he never lose? His treasures in heaven. You see, John Wesley got it right. He was not happy that the house burned to the ground, but whose house was it? He knew. It was the Lord's house. Do you know that about your car? Do you know that about your bank account? Do you know that about your family, about your job? It's the Lord's. It's the Lord's. And so point number three, right before us, who is your master? And Jesus then says, you see that interlude about the eye, he then comes back to this and he says, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and... And I won't read that last word because here is a time when I prefer the King James translation. 
Does anybody know how the King James Version translates it? It says you cannot serve God and... Anybody know? Mammon. Now, mammon was an Aramaic word that Jesus would have used. Though the New Testament's in Greek, uh, Matthew recorded the Aramaic word there for mammon. And one of the uh, writers that I studied this week, he says mammon is a much better uh, English transliteration because it gives money a name. It was actually a name. So it was like naming a deity. Because, and that makes sense. The contrast is between serving God, right? Serving the living and true God or serving this other counterfeit God called mammon. Okay? And did you know that they're both out there wanting your heart? They're both saying, give me your heart. And so Jesus was named, uh, one writer, and I'll give him credit, named Tony Nestor. He says, listen, we name that which is alive. Right? Your dog, you give your dog a name. You don't name your rock or your chair. But something alive, you give it a name. And he says, money is alive. We say that money has a life of its own. We say money talks. We say money rules. Money opens doors. Money causes people to whisper behind their lawyer's closed door. Money causes... Uh, people to have access to political power. Master Charge says, I can buy you anything. Visa says, I can take you wherever you want to go. Not every dollar is mammon, but the God of money wants to take every dollar that you have and cause you to worship mammon. And to trust mammon. And so here's the conflict. The great conflict of your life. Who is your master? Do you own your money? Or does your money own you? I read this article doing an interview with David Vassella who's the CEO of the Swiss pharmaceutical giant, Novartis. And he was talking about his own personal finances. I want you to listen to what he said. He said, "Um, the strange part is, the more I made, the more I got preoccupied with money. When suddenly I didn't have to think about money that much. Why? Because he had enough to live on. When I didn't have to think about money as much, I started to find myself thinking increasingly about it because, his words, because money corrupts the mind. Isn't that an interesting observation from a non-Christian person? Money corrupts the minds. See, this is mammon, the god of mammon, blinding our eyes so that our eyes are dark. And when that happens, do you know people obsessed with money, obsessed with stuff, obsessed with gadgets? Obsessed with cars, obsessed with clothes. Do you know people obsessed with the stock market, obsessed with their bank accounts? Do you know them? Jesus says, how great is the darkness. He says, the pagans run after all these things. But your heavenly Father knows you need them. Trust Him. 
Trust him, Jesus says. You can be my disciple, you can trust him. Do you trust him today? See, mammon says, trust me. Trust me. Once you get enough, every ad for every financial service agency says, how much do you need for retirement? Trust me. No, Jesus says, trust your Father in heaven. Do you trust him? Whom do you serve? You know, we're going to find out who we're serving. One of the more unsettling verses of the Bible is 2 Peter 3, verse 10. It says, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. There are no secrets before God. Do you want to wait until then to be exposed? No, the Bible says for a Christian, search your heart today. Search your heart now. In 2 Corinthians 13.5, one of the many places, the Bible says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. That's the first thing. Am I a Christian? Examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. Or do you know if Jesus lives in you? Then examine your heart. A couple weeks ago, I came home from the office. Nina's at the desk in the kitchen. And I come in, and we're making small talk. And she's telling me about her day. And then she says, and I gave $600 away today. And do you want chicken or fish for dinner? Those of you who know me know there is not much that could distract me from a discussion about chicken or fish for dinner, because I do love my food. But (laughs) that day, I said, oh, really? And she said, yeah, these two people who who really had a need... And she said it as though it was the most natural thing in the world. Now, chicken or fish for dinner. When is that the most natural thing in the world for me? I'll tell you when it is. When I'm serving God. And when is it it unnatural? It's when I'm serving mammon. I'm grateful for a wife who wants to serve God. Do you want to serve God or do you serve mammon? Jesus, he said, and it's not in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. It's so funny. In Acts 20.35, Luke records for us. He says, remembering the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Do you know that? When you are serving the Lord, you know it's more blessed to give than to receive. And we love. I I look around this room and I know I'm surrounded by people who love to give. I am not twisting anyone's arm today because I know this this church family. I've seen the generosity among us here. It is startling. 
It is beautiful. The world scratches their head at what you do with your resources. So I'm not here today to scold anyone, just to say, let's listen to Jesus together. Let's hear His voice together. It is a deadly thing to serve the God of mammon. Be careful that your passions are not killing you. I heard that from Raymond Reddington this week on the, on the blacklist. He said, be careful that your, your passions are not killing you. Ooh. What do you obsess over? Be careful. Let the kingdom of God be your obsession. The Lord Jesus Christ be your obsession. And then His church be your obsession together. Christ and His church. That is the heart of God. Let's pray. Oh, Lord. You give us crowns. You give us treasures in heaven. But then you tell us that we will take those crowns and we will cast them back at your feet. How strange and beautiful and wonderful that is in Revelations 4, verse 10. That the the very saints who now are before you in heaven receive their treasures, and they are beautiful treasures in heaven, and they cannot keep them, but rather cast their crowns. They are casting crowns, and we will be casting crowns forever. So, this day... All we do is surrender ourselves to you. We surrender. We ask you to lead us. Lead us forward as a church. We will do your will, O Lord, as we serve you and not mammon. Forgive me. Forgive Pastor John. Forgive me when my heart is drawn away from you to mammon. How I need the blood of Christ, whose precious blood paid for my sins. Peter said, not with silver or gold. His precious blood paid for my sins. So I am free. I thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and pray to him this prayer, this marvelous old hymn.